Well, good morning. Happy New Year. It's great to be here with you today, especially today when it's so cold out. Nice to be in a warm place. Well, today and at the beginning of January, we've been doing the last several years, is trying to start um, a new direction for the year. And we do it by using a word. And uh, last year, we thought we moved into our new building. We thought, well, let's use the word church. We had a whole series called Church 101, trying to focus in on what we need to do, rethinking what it meant to be church. Well, this year, we picked the word develop. We feel like what we need to do is develop our ministries, develop ourselves, develop our, our, our whole calling in life that God's called us to as his church. And you'll see us unfold for several weeks now. In fact, next week, Bruce Maine comes from Urban Promise, talking about developing children. Many of you have gone down to Urban Promise in Camden. I don't know if you know, but they're all over the country now and all over the world in different cities. He's got a huge ministry. If you never heard Bruce Maine speak, you're in for a great treat. He's a great communicator. You're going to have a lot of fun listening to Bruce and hearing about how their ministry, and we're working with them, coordinating with them, in developing children. But that's just one aspect of our church. We're not just trying to develop kids and we're going to talk about that, but we're developing in every area, in every ministry. So one of the things I'd like to do today is pray with you about that whole idea of development and how you fit into it and asking God what what you're supposed to do and how you can develop in yourself and how you can develop others. So can I pray with you about that? Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you today recognizing that you created us to develop. This is a big part of what we're supposed to be doing. This is really what a church should be about. It's not just a place to attend or go through some religious rituals or even just get inspired and and feel better or or, or even just make new friends. Those are all important, but if we're not developing, are we really having church? And I pray you'll help us as we try and think this through ourselves and think this through for what this might mean to each one of us individually. We will become a group of people that you are so using because we are so developing. In our relationship with you, with others, and even reaching people for Christ and making disciples. So, teach us today. Guide us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, to show this idea, I want to start out with a picture of our newest little guy in our family. That's Crosby. He's my newest grandson. I have nine grandkids. And... um, yeah, I got six grandsons. Isn't that awesome? I had three daughters, never had a son. Now I got six grandsons. This is so cool. I'm having a blast. Well, he's my newest little guy, and um, he's adopted. Uh, Crosby, we adopted uh, Jeff and Jules, my um, middle daughter and her husband, Jeff Pearson. They adopted little Cros um, when he was four months old. But, but, but when they got him, uh, Crosby was pretty skinny. And, uh, like, malnourished, you know? And he had this rash that was up in his scalp and down his face. He didn't look so good. In fact, he looks great there, but he didn't look so good when we got him. And um, he, he had, he had um, other things, issues, too, like there was a flat spot in the back of his head. And a nurse said, well, that's because people don't know. Somebody's just living lay there. Nobody's picking him up. Well, my daughter Jules has no problem picking up babies and hugging babies, nor all the other kids. They, they have three other kids, by the way. <clears throat> so he's number four. They're playing with him, and he got lots more attention, and everything happened. And then probably the most serious thing was his hands were like all gnarled up, and his arms are stiff, and his legs were really stiff, like trying to straighten the little guy's legs just didn't work, and his feet were kind of curled under his toes. 
So some of the people that were in line to adopt him, they, they, like, they didn't want him. Like, he's got some long-term disease, and no thanks. He looks kind of gross there with the rash and his stiffness. And so what Jeff and Jules did said, well, well, we'll take him. And they took him on. And um, they decided to change his formula. That took away the rash. They decided to get a physical therapist to start working with his muscles and found out he was a preemie. So this is part of the reasons why he had the stiffness. And all of a sudden, as they worked with him, after a couple months, they said, well, we don't need to help him anymore. And if you saw him crawling around, running around now, you'd say, yeah, he's doing fine. <laughs> and guess what? When they started feeding him the new formula, the guy eats like a horse. He's growing fast. This is a picture a few months ago. You should see him now. So all these things started happening as you could see him being developed. To me, Crosby is a picture of the American church, folks. I really believe the American church is in a crisis of underdevelopment, a lack of being developed, of being malnourished. Oh, yeah, people go to church. I mean, less people than ever in our country. I don't know if you know that. But even the ones that are going are just like going to church not being developed spiritually, not being developed in their relationship with God, not being developed in their relationship with one another, or with the idea that, hey, I'm here to develop others. I don't know if you know, but that's really the measure of a church. Are you developing and are you developing others? Hey, that's a measure of your parenthood too, and then that's a measure of yourself as a person. Are you developing? And so as you look forward to 2018 and what you want to accomplish, I hope this word strikes a chord with you. You're supposed to be developing as a person, developing as a believer, developing in your relationship with God. And hopefully you're saying, you know what? I need to help others develop too. And that's really what church is supposed to be about. In fact, I put it here in your outline like this. It's, you know, where did I leave my glasses? Here they are called the big idea. We're made to develop. As human beings we are, I'm going to show you that in a minute, and as a church we are. And really this is where our purpose is found, our fulfillment's found, our calling in, in life is found. And oftentimes I wonder if the reason sometimes we have such a great epidemic of depression in the United States and so many other problems going on in politics and in business, in sexual things, is this really just us way off track as a human race and way off track even as a church in understanding we got to be developing and when we're not, gets really kind of sick like Lil Cross was until someone lovingly took him on and helped him develop. And in church, that's what we need to be doing. So that's why I thought that'd be the word and here's what we need to do. Two points. Okay, ready? Just two points today. Number one point is you need to put yourself in a place of development, a place of being developed. Then you need to, secondly, put yourself in a place of developing others. It's that simple. That's all I'm trying to get across today. And to do it, what we're going to do is what we call biblical overviews. I'm not going to go through a whole bunch of passages or take one passage and take it word for word because I thought it'd be better if I give you a whole big picture. So let's go to Genesis. Ready? Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We'll do a little biblical overview starting of how God created things. And I want you to notice something maybe you've never noticed before. In Genesis chapter 1, point 1 in your outline reads, you must put yourself in a place of development. And I want to look at Genesis 1, starting with verse 27. Now, if you've read Genesis 1 before, you know at verse 27, by that time, there's already been five days of creation. Everything's been made, and on the sixth day, he makes what? People, right? 
So look what God says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God said to them, excuse me, and God said, uh, and God blessed them, excuse me, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves in the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. I want you to notice some key words. If you look with me at verse 28, what will you see? He says, be fruitful, God said to the human beings. Multiply, subdue, and have dominion. If I were to summarize that in one, summarize that in one word, what would I say? Develop. God says, hey, I've made everything now. I've got all this creation. You guys take it. You manage it. You coordinate it. You develop it. Grow this. Develop it. Have dominion over it. Subdue it. He used all these different words trying to help them understand they're here to develop this. This is Now, we're not talking about Christianity yet or church or even Israel. He's just saying this is your purpose. This is your destiny. This is your design. This is who you are. We're here as developers. I, I put it down in my outline like this. Well, fish fly. Excuse me. <laughs> fish fly. Birds fly. Fish swim. Animals run. Plants grow. And people develop. That's what God was trying to say in Genesis 1. And right here, he's trying to tell you and me, you're here as a developer. When you do that, you're fulfilling your human purpose. So we're just talking about that. The problem is, when you go on in the Bible and you get all the way to Genesis chapter 3, what happens? Adam and Eve decide, we're going to do it without you, Lord. We know what to do. We're just going to take it on our own from here. Thank you very much. It's called sin. It's called the fall of mankind. Trying to develop and become a developer and develop yourself and even develop others without God usually ends in problems and disaster. The Bible calls it sin. Listen to the famous atheist who became a Christian, C.S. Lewis, and how he put it. In his book, Mere Christianity, which I love to quote from, one of my favorite books of all time, he says it this way. So God made us. God invented us like a man would invent an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That's why it's, it, it is uh, just no good asking God to make you happy in, in, in your own way without bothering with him or bothering with religion. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. That is the key to history. Listen to this summary of history. Terrific energy and expend, is expended and civilizations are built. Excellent institutions are devised. 
But each time something goes wrong, some fatal flaw always brings the selfish and the cruel people to the top, and it will slide back into misery and ruin. In fact, the machine conks. It seems to start up all right and run for a few yards, and then it breaks down. You know how they say history repeats itself, and we see this cycle? He's just mentioning that cycle in history. They are trying to run it on the wrong juice. They're trying to do it without God. That's what Satan wanted humans to do. Yeah. And that's what the enemy wants for you too. To somehow develop yourself and develop your life and develop your family and develop your intellect and develop your emotional skills without him. And all C.S. Lewis is mentioning is, well, might work for a while, but it's going to conk out. Because you were made to run on God. He's so right. So that's all I want you to see from the beginning is that that's, as a human being, a foundation of your life, you're here to be a developer. But the book, the Bible, goes on to, to exemplify or illustrate that, talk about that in a multitude of ways. And if we had time, we could go through even more of a biblical overview. But for the sake of time, turn to Psalm chapter 1, the book that has 144 chap- 150 chapters, excuse me. And Psalm 1 kind of puts some things in perspective for us. So here's where we are now when we find the Lord. If we're going to walk with the Lord, here's what he says. Ready? Psalm 1. Remember, this is poetry, and he often takes two things and contrasts them. See if you can pick up on it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers, while the wicked are not so. But are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What's that psalm doing? He's simply contrasting two ways of life. He says, well, you got the righteous and then you got the wicked. And the righteous... When they live by the law of God, the word of God, focus on what they're supposed to be as a human being, understand their relationship with God is priority number one, and include God in helping them develop what happens. He says, well, they're like, they're like a tree. They're planted by the water. It gets all the nourishment it needs, and it just does what? Develops. Its leaf does not wither. It's all about development. He says, but the wicked, they're not so. No, they're trying to do it without God. And maybe you're here this morning, and your frustration in your life, and your depression, and your sadness, and your disconnection, and you're not figuring it out. It's really basic, basic, basic. You're not developing. You're leaving God out. This is significant. Now, when you read on through the rest of the Bible, you see Jesus coming, dying on the cross for our sins, raising from the dead, telling the disciples what they need to do. He puts one disciple mostly in charge. His name is Peter. And Peter writes a book. Turn with me now to 2 Peter. We're going to end point one here with this chapter. In 2 Peter, chapter 1, Peter tries to summarize for the Christians there who have gone off stray. There's, there's apostasy going on. That means people have walked away from the gospel truth, left church and everything. He's got people here teaching false things, and here's how he sums it up. Listen to this. Starting with verse 5. Let's read through verse 11. Second Peter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. 
and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. See, he's building these character qualities, saying, and, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, increasing, you mean like developing? Yeah. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. He's saying it's pulling you out of that independence from God, sinful behavior. He says, therefore, look at verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, keeps referring back to those, you'll never fail. For in this way, there will, for this way, excuse me, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I can look at my own life and see this happening as well. Maybe you can too. In, in a spiritual journey, there's, there's, there's major decision points that have turned my life in the right direction or in the wrong one. And I remember when I was 18 years old, even though I'd grown up in a church, and even when I was a rebellious teen, had all those problems, and I've shared that about with you before, uh, when I was 18, I became a Christian, and it was so interesting to me to look back now and see I was so underdeveloped. Yeah, I, I knew Bible verses. Yeah, I knew the basics of the gospel. I understood some things. But even when I prayed the sinner's prayer, I asked Jesus to come into my heart, it was unbelievable how underdeveloped I was. What was interesting is in my basically junior high and high school years, I, I was intellectually underdeveloped. I was emotionally underdeveloped. I was spiritually underdeveloped. And a lot of it was like absolutely no discipline in my life. I just did whatever I wanted to do. I wasn't even an athlete willing to discipline myself. I wasn't a good student willing to discipline myself. And what was so interesting, the moment of my conversion in 1970, boom, it's like you flipped a switch. Like a... I don't even like using the word discipline because I don't believe you can discipline yourself to godliness. You can discipline yourself to being better. But it's God's spirit worked in me. And all of a sudden, I had this hunger. I had this drive. I had this longing with the Lord to develop not only my own walk with him and my relationship with others, but I developed emotionally, I developed intellectually, I developed spiritually. And a lot of what you see standing before you today is because what the Lord did, all of it is, really. It, it's a development process that God's had me in. And how did it start with a decision? Okay, that's the first thing I want you to see to conclude this point. The second thing is this. Over the years, because it's been 40 plus years now, right? Long time ago when I was 18. There's been periods I've been with different people. People at jobs, people in the world, people at school, just like you. And I've noticed a difference. When I'm around people that are really developing, I get motivated to develop. And when I'm around people that aren't really developing, I lose my motivation for development. It's very similar to what Psalm 1 says. Sit not in the seat of the scoffer, you know, remember that at the beginning of Psalm 1? Or here when he talks about these virtues you put in your life. Yeah. 
I've noticed sometimes when I'm around people that aren't developing, they're, they're like boring. They're just the same old, same old. Whereas when I'm around people that are developing, they're exciting. It's fun. I remember that when I became a Christian, I was utterly shocked. Okay, remember, I'm just an 18-year-old teenager, right? I was shocked about how much fun you could have as a Christian. I, I thought Christians were, were boring and no fun at all, that I was the one having fun. Not knowing that when I become a Christian, I start developing, I start feeling fulfillment, joy, satisfaction, like I never had trying to chase the world. Can you, can you say the same thing for you? It's true, isn't it? Development is what we were made for. Development is what God brings us back to when he died on the cross is our Savior and Lord to bring us back to what we were made to be, developers. You could say that the Apostle Paul were just developers, developing ourselves and developing others in this wonderful thing called church. It's a life-changing experience. So, but what does it take? Well, a decision, like a conversion decision. And secondly, numerous decisions. Put yourself in a place, like I said in the main point, put yourself in a place of development. And have you been there? Are you there now? Do you use church for that? It's supposed to be for that. Okay, point two. Point two reads like this. You must put yourself in a place of developing others. Again, biblical overview. Let's go back to the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew. In the book of Matthew, at the end, remember Jesus had already died on the cross, risen from the dead, and Jesus is having some of his final statements with the disciples, and he gives them what we call the Great Commission. Starting with Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, reads like this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Develop others. You could translate it like that. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You could literally say, making disciples is about developing others. And, I, and just, that's what I said in point two, right? Put yourself in a place. He says, all nations. Just go from place to place to place and put yourself in a place where you can make disciples. You can really develop others. Because as I'm developing into your life, you're supposed to be pouring out and developing into others. Now, folks, I don't know if you've ever intentionally structured your life this way or intentionally put yourself in a place like that. But if you haven't, you are so missing out on what the Christian life is supposed to be. Much of the motivation, much of the excitement, much of the joy is found in discipling others, not just discipling yourself. If you just go to Bible studies or go to women's meetings or go to men's meetings or come to a mini church and you just take, 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 you're missing it. You're supposed to be making disciples and that's where you find all this joy and all this fulfillment. In fact, oftentimes, that's where you learn even more about your relationship with the Lord. I think that's what he was trying to tell the disciples here. Or the other major passage I want to look at is Acts 1.8. Remember, Jesus had risen from the dead, and he's about ready to ascend to heaven. He's with his disciples in Jerusalem, and he says, you know what, guys, listen. <clears throat> I'm going to leave now, but I want you to wait. Wait right here in Jerusalem for what the Father promised is coming. And here's what he says, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Put yourself in a place in Jerusalem. Put yourself in a place in Judea. Put yourself in a place in Samaria. And put yourself in a place around the world where you can be a witness. You can develop other people with the story you have to share about what God's done in your life. You get it? That's why I'm saying put yourself in a place of development, but put yourself in a place of developing others too. This is what we're supposed to do. It's simple. It's just two things. You know, as I read on the New Testament, I'll just share this. There's a lot more we could look at in Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, right on through the New Testament, these letters. And I thought, well, I'll just share an overview again. One of them is this. The Apostle Paul, three times, once in Romans, once in First Corinthians, and once in Ephesians, mentions gifts. He said, you know, church and what God's called you to do in your development is something God's given gifts to different people about. Just like an orchestra has different instruments, but blended together, they all sound great. And one of, one of the passages is, is Romans chapter 12. Let me just look at this as an example. I'll use this as the last passage. You ready? Romans 12, Paul mentions this, and he says this. So, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Let us develop these gifts, right? Use that word. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, in serving or in service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does uh, acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, there's a lot more we could learn about the gifts of the Spirit, but the Bible is clearly teaching you that if you're truly a born-again Christian, you've really surrendered your life to Christ, and you want to now live for Him, you have within your being, by being born of the Spirit, a new gift, a new understanding. Now, it might be in conjunction with skills God gave you from birth, but whether it is or it's not, the point is God wants to use it. You need to develop that and develop it by using it. And over and over again, he, he brings this through. Like I said, it's kind of like an orchestra. You know what it's like since it's this time of year? It's like a football team. You know, let's just take the offense. Okay, you got your, your linemen. You got your wide receivers. You got the quarterback. You, you got the running back. And when they all coordinate together, each guy does his assignment it's so fun to watch. Now, maybe that's because I'm a guy, but I'm into football. It's just fun. Same thing with a basketball team that works well or a soccer team that works well. When everybody does their assignment and it all coordinates, you score, you win, you make a difference, you're effective, you're successful. All the words that have been used in the scriptures I've been going through. Because it's like that. Paul sees the church like a team of developers. And when we all coordinate together, it makes beautiful music like an orchestra. It has effectiveness like a football team. In fact, let's throw the football team on the screen here. <clears throat> you know who that is. Hopefully you're Eagles fans. Well, somebody started applauding. Yeah, um, there's, a, there's a magazine I get called the Bible Study Magazine. And in here, they were noting uh, the Philadelphia Eagles because there's so many believers on the Philadelphia Eagle team. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, the article starts out with a guy named Trey Burton. Eagles fans probably know who Trey Burton is. Talking about how he had grown up in church, 
but kind of walked away from the Lord, gotten into football, football, and then more football, through college and everything, and then got his girlfriend pregnant. He said, and both of us were like church background. We knew this was wrong. We had the baby, got married, you know, after. And we're like embarrassed. He says, then I got put on the eagles. And on the eagles were these spiritual giants, these guys growing in the Lord. And he says, if it wasn't for that team of guys, I don't know where I'd be. And in this article, they mention all kinds of different guys. Let me just quote to you from some of them. First one, Carson Wentz. You all know him, the quarterback. He says this about the Bible. The Bible is really the secret to life. If you're not rooted in God's word, this world will eat you up. In the NFL, you don't have to look far for temptations or distractions. You can understand that, right? You'll go astray really fast. I'm thankful that God has given us his word, and his word is true. He's got a pretty good track record at keeping his promises. He does. But that was well said. And he finds meeting with these group of guys a development process in his life. Not just his football, but his thinking, his feelings, his relationships, his whole life. Nick Foles, the other quarterback, puts like this. Obviously, it fills your heart. It changes you. Reading scripture allows you to grow in wisdom and it humbles you. Chris Maragos, he puts it this way. If I want to outpour as an athlete, I have to take in the right things. If I want to grow in the Lord, I have to take in the right things as well. So it's extremely important to read the Bible and grow in the grace of our Lord, Lord and, and, and read about what Jesus did on the cross and what he can do in our lives. Zach Ertz, another, I'll just be the last one I'll read from, but there's several of them here. In order to be consistently, uh, to consistently grow as a follower of Jesus Christ, I need to be living the word. I need to be developing, he's saying. No matter what season I'm going through in my life, it allows me to learn what the grace of God is like through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now, here's a bunch of professional athletes basically saying, you know, I, I know I got to develop as an athlete, but you know what I've learned? Developing as an athlete has a lot to do with me developing as a person. You know, I need, I need to be able to pour out, but it has everything to do with what I'm taking in. So they're saying, I need to develop. And then I put myself with this group of guys, and we, we're like iron sharpening iron. So one person sharpens another, says in Proverbs 27, 17. And we're developing others. This is key for you and I to understand. Let me use one last visual aid. You know how I love using visual aids as a teaching tool. Let's use like a map. Like you've used Google Map, right? Let's put a Google Map on the screen here. There you go. Let's say we want to go to Camp of the Redwoods. That's my friend Jim Blake runs Camp of the Redwoods, but we're out here in New Jersey, 199. That's my house, going all the way out. And you know how Google puts that on your little phone for you, and then Siri tells you where to go and how to do it. You know, um, sometimes that can be annoying. Sometimes that can be very helpful. Or maybe you're old school. You know what these are? <laughs> yeah, it's, that's a map. There's probably younger teenagers that are going, what is that thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, we always used to use these. You had them in the car, and someone's got this thing open, and you're trying to figure out where you're going to go. Okay, using a map, Google or this is really simple, right? Just three things. Three basic things. Number one, you got to know where you're at. You don't know where you're at. You, you can't go anywhere. Number two, you got to know where you're going to go. So just like on that map, okay, we want to go to Camp of the Redwoods in California, and I'm over here in New Jersey. Then number three, that'll give you the route. You can see the route on your map. 
you got to get going. Just like on Google, you know, unless you start moving, that little arrow doesn't move. You don't know where you're going, but once you start moving, it shows you if you're going the right way or the wrong way. Or, no, you need to turn here because you're, you're going south and you're supposed to go north, you know, that kind of a thing. Same thing on your map. Okay, now help me out here. Give me, give me some feedback. So this is, you figured out where you're at, figured out where you're going to go, and you're going to, you want to go the route. What are some questions that come to your mind? So, say it louder. Cold? Tolls. Yeah, how about tolls? I didn't even think about tolls. Yeah. How about tolls? Yeah, out of the east here, we got to pay tolls. Yeah, how many tolls are you going to pay? It's going to cost a lot to get across Pennsylvania, right? All right. It tolls. For sure, I never thought about that. Good one. Anybody else? Weather. I mentioned weather. You might have to think about the weather, you know. Okay, what else? How long? Yeah, how long a trip? You have to stay overnight? How much should you pack? There's certain stops you want to make. You want to stop in this town, this town, this town. You want to go a straight route or go another route. What other questions? Gas. gas. How much gas? Yeah. Oh, what? You're going to take a plane? You're going to take a train? You're going to take a car? Planes, trains, automobiles. Remember that movie? You know, how, how are you going to get there? Walk? Take a bike? I mean, what other questions? Yeah, what are you going to do when you get there? Good question. Why are you going there? Are you sure we want to go? Yeah. There's a multitude of questions. So is life. It's simple, I say. I'm preaching. Oh, I just got to know three things. Yeah. But then there's lots of variables and there's lots of questions and obstacles and problems and detours. And, you know, for many of us in life, that's what happens. We get detoured off or we're ended up or maybe we even chose a very dangerous route. You could fall at any moment and like go to your death, go to your disaster. Or maybe you've turned off, you're going the wrong way, or you've just stalled out like a car spinning its wheels in the snow. You're stuck. I want you to evaluate your life right now like a map. Number one, where are you? Where are you? I don't know, you know, coming back to spiritually speaking is what I'm saying. Let's apply this. Where are you spiritually? I know using a map, I remember one time my wife and I were traveling, this is years ago. <clears throat> I forget where we we're going. Let's say somewhere up north, and I'm, I see a sign that says Milwaukee, 10 miles. I'm like, Milwaukee? We're not going to, what, 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 you know, we turned the wrong road, you know, going the wrong way. Sometimes in life, that's what happens. You take a wrong turn, make a wrong decision, haven't been with people that are developing, you're not developing, you're not, or maybe regressing rather than progressing. Where are you? If you can't evaluate that, that's one of the reasons I think, to, honest to, to God, that I think being in a small group, a men's group, a women's group, a mini church, a teen group, whatever, is so valuable because sometimes we are deceived. We thought we were going the right way. Oh, no, I'm not. Number two, do you know where you want to go? Sometimes we try and go too far. Sometimes we're not going far enough. We've got we to find out exactly, and I, I don't know any other answer to that except prayer. One of your fervent prayers for 2018 should be, okay, Lord, I'm yours. Where do you want to go? Help me see clearly where that is so I can develop toward it. 
so I'm not missing. We put it in these words in our church. We want people to hear God's call and follow it. That's our vision statement. That's all we want. That's all I want for you. That's why we're here as a church. Help people hear God's call and follow it. But that demands the third point, right? You've got to be moving. You're going to have to take steps. It's why I'm up here preaching to you. I'm exhorting you. I'm admonishing you, saying, come on, let's go, let's go. If you can figure out where you're at and figure out where you need to go, then it's just a matter of movement, right? Taking some steps. And if I could urge you to do anything at the beginning of 2018, and wouldn't it be great if you get to the end of 2018, you go, hey, I used to be way back there. Look, look where I am now. I made some progress. I developed. Hey, not only that, I brought Johnny or Mary with me. I made a difference in their life. Whether they be a little kid, a teenager, an adult, I've invested. I've seen a difference in someone else's life because I helped them develop That's what church is supposed to be like. Sometimes, you know, we get problems with uh, things and people telling us to go the wrong direction or we get deceived into thinking we're going the right way and we're not. I don't know if you've ever used Google with Siri. You know, um, my wife doesn't like Siri, and she's not so sure about my relationship with Siri. But anyway... um, She's telling you to do something. You ever had that with your phone? Siri's telling you, take a right here, and you know, doggone well, you're not supposed to take a right here, because I could go up here and do this. And they're like, no, it, 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 pretty soon you find yourself talking to this thing until you turn it off, like yelling at the phone, like it's so stupid. But sometimes isn't life like that? Someone's telling us this, we're being pushed that way or this way by circumstances. I had, had a guy I was praying with last night about his business thing. He was in just a real tough dilemma. And I said, well, you've got to make sure you're here in the Lord. It's day by day making the next best step, the next best decision. That's what it's going to take for each one of us. So uh, I can get you to just do two things, just two things today. What is it? It's the outline. Put yourself in a place where you can be developed, number one. Secondly, put yourself in a place where you can develop others. Can you do that? Can we pray about that right now? Here's what I want you to do. Stand up and let's pray. We're going to end the service with this. Lord, I want to come to you on behalf of every one of us who are challenged here at the beginning of a new year to develop. Just like you created us to develop as human beings, we're Christians so that we can develop, and we're Christians so we can develop the world. That's our job. That's who we are. There's so many people, but I can't develop the whole world. But you can develop one person, two people, even our own children or grandchildren. So you hear me crying that out to the Lord, right? What are you going to pray? Why don't you start out by just saying, Lord, show me where I'm really at. Help me walk in the light as he is in the light. Like it says in 1 John 1, 7, to really be honest, transparent with you. If I need to repent, help me repent. Repent means turn around. Lord, maybe I need a U-turn here. Show me where I'm really, really at. With you, in my marriage, in my relationships with people, in church, where am I really at? Number two, Lord, help me see where I'm supposed to be going. 
You know, you need to be going toward the Lord. You know that for sure. You, need, you know you're not supposed to be developing somebody else. Who is it you could take on for 2018? Maybe you need to put their name in the gap right here. Lord, help me develop blank. A relationship with that person. A, a scripture time with that person. A prayer time for that. Praying for them. That's where it all starts. Then thirdly, Lord, help me move. Sometimes we get so sidetracked bad habits come in those virtues mentioned in Second Peter they're not a part of our life because we're not putting ourselves in a place to really develop or develop others so Lord I'm telling you right now I'm asking you to use me to develop me and make me usable in somebody else's life in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask in 2018, I'll be able to look back this year, next year about this time, 2019, and say, wow, look what the Lord did in my life. Because I give it all to you now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray this prayer. Amen. God bless. Have a great week.